our sermon for today is the things above. When I was in school, when I was in school, my teacher used to prepare us before the test. So he would say, study hard, memorize all the things I've taught you. And, and, um, and the thing that, that, that we as, our, as classmates that we, we usually do is actually we don't really study that hard, especially for this teacher's test, because we know that on test day, he will hint to us the answers. He will actually hint to us the answers. So therefore, we don't really study that hard because the motivation was not really there. Because we know that whatever we do, at the end point, actually he will give us the answers. So why study so hard when the answers will be given at the end? Have you ever felt that way about your faith? Have you ever felt that way? That since at the end of your journey, you will be glorified. So why strive so hard in this journey of, 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 of cutting away sin, of, of, of killing the flesh? Why strive so hard in this journey when at the end of it, we'll be glorified anyway? We're going to be tackling this question in the course of today's message. Um, but first, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Lord, would you open the eyes of our hearts? Would you help us now to understand your word? Holy Spirit, reveal to us what you have for each one of us today, wherever we are, in Jesus' name. Amen. This is our third installment. In the first week, um, in our closure series, in our first week, we talk about faith in the sovereignty of Jesus. In the second week, we talk about the centrality of Christ, the need to, to be built up in Him, to center in Him. And this week, because we have gone through all that, we know that now we are, we are in Him then we need to know how then we are to live. So today's message in Colossians 3 is focusing a lot on how, how should we live. How should we live? In the kingdom of God, there is a certain culture and that is true to be said for every country. There's a certain culture. So what is the culture. How will you how will you so-called define a Singaporean? How will you how will, what are the distinctives? So let's say you were overseas. How will you okay, that's a Singaporean right there, that's a Singaporean right there. How will you identify that? Maybe uh, you see that this person is queuing up because that is part of our culture. Or maybe you hear the way the person speaks. And if he begins to speak in Singlish, then hey that is very likely to be a Singaporean, right? So from there, we can pick out um, who is of this culture or who is not. In the same fashion, the kingdom of God has its own culture. And today, as we dig into Colossians 3, we will see what is that culture. So our roadmap for today is put to death the earthly traits and put on the things above. So these are our two points. Let's go to point number one, put to death the earthly traits. Colossians 3, 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. <clears throat> Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, 
evil desires and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, that is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So this passage tells us, Paul tells us, now that we have been raised with Christ, we are now citizens of the kingdom. There is an old way to live. Don't live that way. There's a new way to live, which is seeking the things above. And he says that we must put to death the old ways. Of course, he lists out the old ways. These are the old ways. These are the things that we must put to death. So he has this list, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, referring to lust, evil desires, covetousness, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, and lies. So as he gives us this list, let's take a look at this list. Take a good look at this list. Do we find it difficult to put some of these things to death? As we look at this list, do we find it hard because some of these things are very familiar to us? But even though they are familiar, Paul tells us that we must put these to death and we must do so. Because verse 2 says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. How important is it then that we put these things to death? After all, when you read verse 3 and verse 4, it says, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. When Christ appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Hmm. So you think about it. How important is it that I put these things to death, knowing that when Christ appears, I will be glorified with him? Say there's a path. Okay, so say there's a path. Okay, so say there's this path uh, that I like to call the holiness path. And one is when we are in sin. And ten is when uh, we have uh, put away the old self, right? We are moving towards Jesus, moving towards Christ. So let's say this path, the holiness path, on this different level. My question is, why do we struggle so hard? Why is there a need for us to struggle so hard to move from level one to level ten? When, when Christ appears, when Christ appears, I'll be bumped up to level ten. I'll be glorified with him anyway. So if I'm a level 2 and Christ comes, hey, I'll go to level 10. If I'm level 5, if I struggle to level 5, and when Christ comes, I'll be bumped up to level 10. If I struggle really hard, I'm a level 7. And when Christ comes, I'm bumped up to level 10. Verse 4 
seems very automatic. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Hmm. When I read verse 2 to verse 4, I'm fully assured. It's fantastic, right, when you read this. I'm fully assured. And because I'm so assured that at the end, I will appear with him in glory, that all of a sudden my motivation to put to death, my motivation to apply verse 5, is not there anymore. All of a sudden, it doesn't matter to me because how successful I am in moving up has no impact on me ultimately arriving at the price. Let me give you an example. Let's say I were to tell you, in the next 10 years of your life, I'm going to give you all the materials you need to build a bungalow. And I'm going to give you 10 years with all these materials to build your bungalow. At the end of the ninth year, I will come with all my workers and I will complete whatever you have not done. And at the ninth year, at the end of the ninth year, you will get your bungalow. So, the question is, how hard will you work? Knowing that, okay, I've got 10 years to build my bungalow, I've got all my materials, I'll work, but at the end of the ninth year, wherever I am, someone is going to come with his workers and build everything for me. How hard will you really work? You know what I will do? I will not do anything. I will go and drink coffee for nine years. And then at the 10 here, hey, the contractor comes and builds everything for me and I get my bungalow at the end. I wouldn't slog so hard for nine years. For what? Right? There isn't that motivation. And unfortunately, some of us bring this thought some of us bring this thought with us into the Christian faith. Why try so hard to put to death the old self when at the end, when Christ comes, we will all be glorified anyway? After all, Philippians, not only Colossians, but Philippians say the same thing. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So therefore, we may be inclined to think that it's okay not to work so hard, to progress up the levels, because in the end, we'll be bumped up to level 10 anyway. Why try so hard to put sin to death? Do you think this way? Do you ever think this way? Because I thought this way at one point in time in my life. And therefore, when sin came around the corner for me, there wasn't a very strong motivation to put sin to death because I knew that at the end of the day, hey, I'll be glorified with Jesus anyway. I'll get my bungalow. I'll be promoted. However, this could not be further from the truth. Of the simple fact that people on this path don't think like this. People on this path don't have this kind of mindset. People on this path never think that way. People on this path don't think that it is okay to take sin lightly. That it's okay to continue to walk in sin, thinking that at the end it will be okay. Because although Philippians 1 says that, Philippians 2 says this. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, 
So now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Those people on this path, they are concerned about sin because it is God who begins to work in them and they are working out their own salvation with fear and trembling. And at the end, they will be glorified. 1 John 3 gives us a wonderful explanation for this. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practice lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Therefore, it becomes absolutely clear that the person who will be glorified at the end will not think that it is okay to keep on sinning because at the end we'll be glorified anyway. Such thoughts, such thinking do not belong to people like this. Therefore, John says, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. We must put the old ways to death. We must set your minds on things above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And verse 5, put to death therefore. Put to death therefore. Because this is who you are. Because this is who you are. Because now that you are redeemed in Christ, you are raised with Christ, this is who you are. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Just look at this list again. As we look at this list, ask, let's ask ourselves, are we struggling with any of these? Do we find it difficult to put these to death? Take a moment to reflect right now because we must put these things to death. We cannot think that way. We must put these things to death. Take a moment to think through this list. Look through this list. If the Lord is laying any of these things upon your heart, you need to bring before Him, to bring before Him, put it to death. I'm going to lead us in a prayer right now. And as we come to the blank, 
I want you to just articulate that area before the Lord. Okay? Let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, you came to pay for my sins and set me free from the chains of sin and death so that I can walk in freedom. Lord, I confess I have not always walked in that freedom. I confess that I'm struggling in this area. Name this area for the Lord. Please give me strength to say no to this area. Please help me to overcome this. Thank you for your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. We must put to death the earthly things and set our minds on things above. Now let's go on to this new way of living that we are called to do. Put on the things above. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Born servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service as people pleases, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for all the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Okay, so what Paul is saying here is that there is a new way to live. This is a new way to live and he has a new list. So in this list, he lists out all these things you need to put on. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness, love, peace, thankfulness, filled with the word of Christ. This is the new list that Paul gives us. And this is in contrast to the old list. He's saying that you must die to the old list and put on the new list. We must stop living in the old way and put on the new way. Okay? Then he goes on to explain that, okay, he also says that love binds all this together in perfection, perfectly. 
And then he goes on to explain practically how this is, how this is lived out in the household. So in the household, he, he talks specifically to the wives, to the husbands, to the children, also to the servants, to the workers, and also to the masters. So specifically, he gives, um, he gives handles how these new values must be lived out. So he says, Wives, submit to your husbands as fitting in the Lord. So he addresses the wives to submit to the husbands, not as a question of inferiority, but as a, as a position of order. And then he says, Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. So some husbands uh, may, may, may say that, oh, I, I like to treat my family, my wife in this way, in a very hard way, uh, because there's tough love. But Paul is saying here, do not be harsh with them. Instead, love your wives. In your, in your, in your administration of leadership, do so in gentleness, in love. That's what he says. Children, Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Then he addresses the children, that they need to obey their parents. Those children in the same household, you must obey your parents. Then he goes on to talk to fathers. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they, they become discouraged. So he's, he's saying in other translations, fathers, do not provoke your children. He's saying in other translations, do not embitter your children. Do not discourage your children. So sometimes um, fathers may run the risk of uh, fault finding, of uh, criticizing, of scolding, and in so doing, discourage their children. So he's, he's giving us an instruction over here. Then he goes on to say, Born servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleases, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. Okay, so he explains what, how the bond servants, how the servants need to posture their hearts. And then he goes on to address the masters. Masters, treat your bond servants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Here he addresses the responsibility of both the servants and the masters and the attitude that they must carry. So this is how Paul explains the traits of the household, how he explains the traits for everyone. And he's saying, right now, you need to take reference from the Lord. Right now, that, okay, there's an old way of doing things. Right? In the old way, in the ancient Roman household, people take reference from the head of the house, the husband, the father. He's the head of the house. He sets the rules. He's king. But now Paul is saying, Look to the Lord as your reference. Look to the Lord as your standard. All right? You can see that over here. He says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And then he goes on to say, uh, Born servants, obey in everything. Uh, not by way of eye service, sincerely fearing, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord. So Paul is giving us now a point of reference that we need to take God as our reference, as our standard. So church, now that we have looked at Colossians 3, now that we have run through and explained Colossians 3, 
let's take a step back. We can look at Colossians 3 as a passage that gives us a list of do's and don'ts. But Colossians 3 is so much more than that. It's not just a passage of do's and don'ts. You can look at this list as a list of things that Paul says, do this, don't do this. Don't do this, do this. Paul is saying there's an old way of living. Don't live like that. Live in a new way. We can look at this as a list of do's and don'ts. But as we do so, as you look at this list, I want you to focus on this. As you focus on this list, do you also get a sensing of the kind of kingdom our king wants? Do you get that sensing? Through this list, we get a picture of his values. We get a picture, an idea of what is important to the king. We get a glimpse of his heart. You see, the king did not say that, that uh, you must have willpower, you must have drive, you must have uh, adaptability. There's nothing wrong. These are very good qualities. There's nothing wrong with them. But you see, he chose compassion, kindness, humility, love. He chose this to be ingrained into his kingdom more than just a list of do's and don'ts. Here, I believe through this list, we catch a glimpse of the heart of the king. And I believe that this is what he wants. He wants a kingdom with a culture of compassion, of kindness, and of love. And as his people belonging to his kingdom, we must catch his heart. Church, we can be doing the right things. We can be doing all the right things and be so preoccupied with the do's and don'ts that we miss the heart of the king. We can be so preoccupied with looking at the law that we miss the heart of the king who gave the law. We can be serving in ministry day after day and still miss his heart. Even reading his law daily and still miss his heart. Let me tell you about a time about how the Pharisees started. This was during the Greek period. And this was a period about 150 years before Jesus came. Israel had came out of captivity during that season. And there was a lot of mixture that had taken place. Many were influenced by the practice of the day, mixing in uh, what was taught, um, uh, Greek ideas mixed in with Judaism. And therefore, there was a compromise in the faith in Israel, a mixture in people's faith. The situation was so bad that the high priest's position was given to the highest bidder, money, bought the high priest's position. This was during the time of Antiochus Epiphanes, appointed by him. Of course, he later went on to desecrate the temple 
And amongst other things, all this led to a revolt. And it was during that time, it was during that time of the revolt that the Pharisees entered the picture. The chief priests and rulers of the people began to neglect the law. And the Pharisees united themselves. They became an association of the lay and scribes that band together and saw it as their duty to ensure that the law was observed. They opposed those who sought the high priest position for political power. And they were also progressive in their understanding of how the law was to be observed. They understood the spirit of the law and they were applied to their current day. Not bad, right? So, so um, they, would, they, would, they would say things such that God can, uh, should be worshipped, can and should be worshipped even outside of, of the temple, not just through the blood sacrifices, but also reading the law and also in prayer. And therefore, they begin to, to encourage people to go to the synagogues. In short, these were the defenders of the faith in their days. But fast forward 150 years or so, during the time of Jesus, we see what has happened. Not a bad start. But fast forward along the way, what has happened to them? By the time Jesus came, you can read in the New Testament, the Pharisees totally missed the heart of God. You see how far they have fallen short and how far they have missed the heart of God all the while doing ministry. Church, Colossians 3 tells us, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love. Do you see the heart of our King right here? As citizens of God, do you see the heart of our King? A kingdom of compassion, of humility, and of love. In closing, I want to share with you something that I've observed. A few weeks ago, I attended the online memorial service of Ravi Zacharias. It was a memorial service. Ravi Zacharias was a giant in our faith during our time. One of the great men of God, well-renowned defender of the faith, apologetics was in his blood. And it saddens us all to see him go. I watched his online memorial service about 11 p.m. Singapore time due to the time difference. And as, as I was watching his friends and family members and co-workers sharing about his life, I thought that I would hear how great an apologist he was, how much he knew, how successful his ministry was. I thought I'd be hearing all these things. But what I heard, eulogy after eulogy after eulogy, was how much he loved. 
he was remembered most for how much he loved people. Vince Vital, the director of Zacharias Institute, shared that a colleague of his had gone up to a contract worker in their building, not sure if she knew who Ravi was, and told her what had happened to him. And this contract worker began to sob. And she began to sob so hard that she had to hold on to the wall. And she shared that the first time Ravi saw her, he, he walked right up to her and he greeted her by name and he thanked her for her hard work. And that meant so much to her and she began to look him up online and begin watching his videos even though she was from a different religious background. And now she is pursuing Christ. What I heard, story after story after story, was not how much he knew, but how he loved. He understood the heart of God. Church, as we come to a close today, if you then have been raised with Christ, put to death the earthly traits and put on the things above. Church, let's be a kingdom of compassion, of humility, and of love. Today, I want to invite you to just begin now to pray wherever you are. Just close our eyes and think through, is there someone you can love today? Would you close your eyes and take a moment and allow the Lord to speak to you and ask the Lord, Lord, is there somebody I can love today? Think of the people around you. Think of your family members, your colleagues, your neighbours. Who can you show compassion to? Who can you pour out kindness to? And who can you extend the love of God to? I'm going to give you a moment now to allow the Lord to speak to you and then we will close in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you that it was you who first showed us what it means to be compassionate, to be kind, to be loving. It was you who extended the hand of forgiveness to us, hands that were nailed to the cross so that we can have a new life, hands that showed us the meaning of love and sacrifice. Lord, today as people of your kingdom, we want to catch your heart. Help us to put to death the old ways. And Lord, as an extension of your love, help us to put on compassion and kindness and help us to extend this very love to the people that you have placed in our lives. Lord, would you set our minds on things above? Would you fill us with your love and your compassion and help us to carry out your kingdom values, your kingdom with a culture of compassion, of humility, and of love. We thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name.